Jesus. Today we're in Matthew 4. Today we're also in Romans 4. Uh, I've had, I love coming to church, coming into the week, looking at those chapters that we'll be reading on the Sunday and listening to the Lord, what he was saying. I had two incredible messages because they're both very dear books to me. I found many times the Lord's ministered to me and finds me. And I was leaning to Romans 4, but in this morning when I was praying, the Lord came in a very strong fashion. Uh, last time he came in that kind of strong fashion was July the 3rd. He came to me and said, I need you, we're going to go to the Mount of Temptation, and we're going to deal with the power of the temptation and the authority of the word and deal with the root of the world that wants to take us out of our victorious life that we've been given in Jesus Christ. So as I meditated in it, I realized, okay, this is what you want to talk about. And we're in this kind of, kind of like it's interesting. We're here celebrating, you can't call it celebrating. We're here remembering that 21 years ago, we had the Twin Towers decimated and people's lives lost. And, and, um, and unfortunately, in some ways, the nation humbled themselves for a week or two, and then we started just to build intentionally stronger, bigger, and more, which is not the answer God ever wants whenever something tragic happens, is to just rise up in self. Self is, is the first responder, and it never is meant to always be the, the bow the knee, humble ourselves. We're also mourning the loss of the Queen of England, which is probably the last living person that we all know who carried such dignity, such uh, nobility, such selflessness, uh, which uh, we don't understand that in a culture because she was born at a different time, grew up in a different era, and uh, was not one of those who had been um, found so... Um, you know, filled with humanism and, and all of our selfism. I read in the, the news in the first beginning of days after her passing a uh, quote that had come from in 1957. She did her first televised uh, uh, into the homes of, of the Commonwealth, a Christmas message. So it was Christmas 1957. And I didn't, I, and I, so I, I was so impacted that I wanted it. And the more I, I, I couldn't find it, so I went Googling and I found it all over the place. It's a seven minute YouTube video, wonderful, worth reading. Let me just, I want to get, give you two quotes about it because I think it's in part of what we're in the middle of. Let me find it in my, there we go. Uh, she said, she was speaking of the new inventions and all of the, you know, the dramatic change that was taking place, the television, the media, and she said, but it's not the new inventions which are the difficulties. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. I tell you, only the British can say so many things in so few words. They would have religion thrown aside. Morality in personal and public life made meaningless. These are core issues. Honesty 
counted as foolishness. And self-interest set up in place of self-restraint. She went on later to say, It has always been easy to hate and destroy. To build and cherish is much more difficult. So I was moved earlier this week. Then I come to the two where the Lord's meeting, and I have another uh, uh, poem I want to read in a moment. But can I take us to 1 John uh, chapter 2? It's, it was being impacted this week. And I believe there's a message for us in this moment we're in. We don't realize that we are made overcomers because of Jesus Christ. We forget that our faith is what overcomes the world. We forget who we are and therefore we compete in arenas that we were never left to have to compete again in because we've been called out of the world. Not, we're not of it. And therefore, we're left in it, but we're not of it. And we forget some of this. So this uh, week, I was noticing in John chap- 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, this statement of, of John speaking. He says, I write to you, little children, because you are forgiven. He's, you, for your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And I write to you, Little children, because you have known the Father. And I've written to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I've written to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, may that be, for all of us, some point of measurability of our progress. Are we just the forgiven, learning to understand that there's a journey ahead? Do we know the word of God? Are we overcoming the wicked one? Are we strong? And have we fathers who have come to conclude, I've known him from the beginning. I understand the depths and, the, and I'm in a position of, of, of sweet surrender and submission to God. Then he says, I saw this. I write, I write, I write, I write, I write, I write. And then he says to all of us, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So this is the cosmos. This is the order. This is the ins- what, what came in the transference of the knowledge of good and evil into Adam when sin was, was, was imbibed and nakedness was seen and knowledge of good and evil became. And Satan took the system of the creation that was given in, to Adam to govern and now it became his to govern as he chose and so a whole other system took place that Jesus had to come into, which is why John 17, he says to the Father, I'm leaving, but I'm praying not for everybody, but for those you've given me, that you would not take them out of the world, but you would keep them from the evil one. And they're not of the world as I'm not of the world. I love that, I love that bumper sticker, not of the world, because it is the truth of how we are to live from. And then he said, sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. And for this reason, I sanctify myself. So that's there in 1 John 17. So now you say, he's writing to us and he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot have the love of the world and the love of the Father dwelling simultaneously. We cannot be a friend of the world and a friend with God because of that. So there's an admonition for all that is in the world. 
and I'm sure this, hopefully this is all elementary teach, re review. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So this is, the, this is our schooling, is learning to live in love with the Father, living inside of truth, submitting ourselves to a kingdom that has an entirely different value system, and walking through the world, but not finding our identity in the world. So verse 16, again, he says he's three ident statements, which you'll, all of us face, and we're going to explain them for a moment, then we're going to see how Jesus overcame all of them with the word. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So if you remember that, go with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Again, hopefully all review to everybody. Where did all this get into the world? How did this cosmos become the one that is reigning uh, culturally, societally? Why is it where Satan came to dwell and build from Tower of Babel up and on? It's because it originated in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So the serpent, he was more cunning than all of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and listen to how he speaks, because he speaks the same today. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat every tree of the garden? He is the question asker. He's the one who begins to kind of make a thought, second thought, a doubt, maybe not, I don't know. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the tree, eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The tree was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't eat it, but he didn't say you couldn't touch it. One of the things why the word is so important to each and every one of us is deception begins in subtleties, never begins in a blatant lie. Satan never comes and tells you something that's just a straight out lie. He comes and wraps a lie inside of truth until the lie begins to override the truth and we begin to accept something we shouldn't have ever accepted. But conversation has started, not the one to have. The serpent said to the woman, oh, you'll not surely die. Now that's a lie, flat out, boom. For God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He is insinuating that God was not thinking for the best for the creation that he had given in Adam and Eve. And he was suggesting that there was more to life than being naked, covered with glory. He was insinuating that God was keeping back from them and that there was not the joy of life inside this Garden of Eden that could be found. You could actually come up and elevate and extend and come high like God, which is what the, the iniquity that Lucifer threw himself into and was thrown to the earth and became Satan. So when the woman saw, now here we see, that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate, 
She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And do you know why? Because they died spiritually. That day they died. They did, it took 900 years later till they could die physically. But that day the light went out. They could not be sustained in the grace that was providing the glory that was covering them. And all of a sudden their eyes were open, and they looked and go, whoa, this feels awkward. Cover it up. So they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, which is what we tend to do whenever we're ashamed or afraid. So they went and hid in the trees of the garden. Well, then the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, well, who told you that you were naked? And have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And from this moment, we began what husbands and wives continue to this day, the blame game. Then the man said, it was the woman you gave me. You gave me a woman, and I'm not a part of it at all. I just, she put it in my hand, I ate it. (sighs) (laughs) All right, man, come on. You can take, husband, you can take some ownership on that. Then the the woman, she gave it, then the Lord said, it was a woman. What is it you've done? She said, well, the the devil made me do it. You see, he deceived me, and I ate. And then he goes to the devil, and he, he has nothing to say but onto your belly. So... That was sown into man, the fear, the shame, the hiding from God. Satan became the, 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 the God of this world, and he began to become the, the, the God of all the sons of disobedience, which all of us are born into. We are born sons of disobedience. Isn't that true? Have you noticed a two-year-old perfectly obedient to their parents yet? It's, you know, we have a willfulness. We have a, so now... This, the last Adam's born. The last Adam, Jesus, takes upon himself. He empties himself of every privilege, title, honor of God the Son and submits himself to Father who places the word in Mary's womb, the seed, and he begins gestation to become a man, which we, he referred to himself And we refer to him as the son of man. He humbles himself into our appearance. He identifies with us in totality. He had all the limitations we are born with and none of the privileges he enjoyed in heaven. He is only sinless. That's the only part that he's carrying as Adam was in the beginning in the garden. Now he's growing up and he's learning who he is. Like Adam, he could discover and grow. Now he's learning, and he's with, at his bar mitzvah. He gets distracted uh, into conversation with those who are the priest, and his parents don't notice he's not in the caravan back to Nazareth. And three, four days later, they catch, finally catch up, catch up with him. And they said, where are you? Where were you? Don't you know you've left us all afraid? And he said, well, I have to be about my father's house. And that was the literal word. I have to be in my father's house. This is my place. So he went back with them up to Nazareth, and he was subject to them in everything. 
Joseph said, son, you're going to have to make some money. You're going to have to get a skill. You're going to have to have a job. So I'm going to teach you to be a carpenter. Uh, he grew up under their limitations so that, they, so that he could be as we are, tested in every way uh, and not sinning. And now he's in his 30s and he begins his ministry. Off to John, he gets baptized. Credible, credible moment. Heaven opens. A dove flies down, which is really the Holy Spirit, and he lands on him and doesn't leave him. And now the voice of the Father comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Immediately, when we go to now, we can go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Immediately, the Spirit who filled him now leads him. Leads him to the temple. Uh, would you quit talking to each other, please? Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. These guys in the media, they just goof off the whole time. I don't know what to think. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. The Holy Spirit now leads him. Now listen, because this is what's happening. We didn't tell you this when you got saved. We should have. But we were caught in Americanism. Christianity made you richer and more famous. Rather than, it's the beginning of a transformation journey that's, that is going to require allegiance to the living word, leadership of the spirit of God, and to get skilled in overcoming the evil one and his lies. So it says Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. <clears throat> That's why a, a, a moment of Holy Spirit renewal is, is a glorious thing, but it, it, if we do not build the word in the moment of renewal, we won't be ready to meet the devil because the training is in the testing. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, <clears throat> afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came, he said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Lust of the flesh. If you are the son of God, the most profound experience Jesus the Son of Man has ever had in his earth life to this moment is an open heaven with a dove landing on him that's the Holy Spirit now filled with the Spirit of God and the Father's affirming voice, you are my Son and I am well pleased. Now us who are experiential believers, meaning we believe to experience Jesus and those experiences begin to become life-giving, life-changing and impactful. But the devil is after those moments to try to dismantle or cast doubt, or most importantly, get us in a conversation to prove it. He is a classic, prove it. If you are, do something. And so he says, you're, you're hungry, now command these stones to become bread. The, uh, the opposite, well, first let's, let's go to what Jesus does do. He answered and said, verse five, it is written, he did not say, I have had an experience. I am the son of God. You bet I am. I've got the Holy Spirit with me right now. And I had an open vision, open heaven vision with my father speaking. He doesn't use any of the experiences that he's had to speak to the devil. Because he devil does not care what experiences you had. And if you have a conversation long enough, you will lose your place. He's just that good. Wicked. He is the dragon. He is the serpent. He is the, he's all of that. 
So he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now Jesus is coming under submission to the word that he was spoken by God, but now as a man, he has to submit to the word of God. And so the temptation in the lusts of the flesh is use your identity to provide for yourself. Benefit yourself through what you've been given in Christ. Take advantage of the moment. You have authority. Change the circumstance. Bring it back to a better, desirable case. You don't, this isn't necessary. Let's get these rocks into, into bread. God could easily have done that. It's a viable. God can make sons of Abraham out of stones. I'm sure he can make loaves of bread. So it's not that he couldn't. It was that he wouldn't. He was... When we went through the Gospels for the first time, we were doing the 40 days in the Gospels and we were layering them so you'd read the same encounter over and over again. And I would walk away and say, Lord, how did you do this? I mean, I know you were the sinless son of man, but still, you didn't have the help of anybody. And yet you walked in such authority and such security. You knew where God was going. You knew what he was saying. And I heard him say, a day or two later, he said, I submitted myself to the word of God. I submitted myself to the written word. He did not not live from the place that he had in his purity and innocence and in his destiny or even in his assignment. He lived under the living word of God. So when it came to speak to the devil, he had to say, it is written. And when he spoke to the devil. He had to speak to the temptation of the lust of the flesh, the flesh lust. And if you have, you all know that. I'm not, you know, come on, you're living in a body. Body's an unruly thing. And he said, nope, I've got to live. I live beyond the immediate need of the moment. I will not take the, the identity and the position of I have to fix the circumstances to my benefit. I rather would live under the word of God that's coming out of my father's mouth. The rhema. It is more important that I hear God speak to me than I get to have a breakfast or lunch or a dinner. I need, I want to hear him. So test number one, he pricks through that. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point of the temple, uh, the highest religious experience you could have. The, The place of would seem like, well, there you are. And he says to him, if you are the son of God, again, the test is always to get me to doubt, to try to get me to prove myself. We sang today that we are brought into the conversation of God. This is not a conversation we have to enter into. He said, but if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. That's a scary thing to know. The devil knows the Bible better than most of us. He knows how to use the words against us. He knows how to condemn us. That's why the Bible is never to condemn you. He knows how to uh, put you into a uh, override, overdrive. He says, anyway, he says, it's written. He shall give his angels charge over you, and they shall bear you up in their hands as you dash your foot against a stone. This is the temptation of what he says, Jesus says. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The, 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 the temptation that was coming was the lust of the eyes. This was, 
And the lust of eyes means that we want to see things. I want to see things. I get up every morning. I want to see my bank account bigger, my life longer, my joy fuller, happiness. I want good weather, good waves. I want it all. And if I don't see it, then I might wonder, where's God? How come life's where it is? When they were out of, this is what's called temptation. To tempt God is to test him as to whether he is with you or not. That's a crazy thought. This God who says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, somehow does not like to be accused that he, we have been left and forsaken. And yet that was the testing because we want things to be sight. We want to see something. You find that in the tempting of Christ when they came to the waters of Meribah. And you find it also at the murmuring and where the serpents came and started biting people and they started dying. Because they, we, we start, we start uh, bemoaning our miserable state. We got out of Egypt, but man, I love what I used to eat in Egypt. And now you just brought me here to die. Like God said, oh, that, that's exactly why I saved you, to kill you somewhere else. We, I need to, are you really in the midst of us? Are you really present with me? That's the temptation. And he had to say, you're not going to tempt the Lord. It's, there's something about asking, you see, what's the idea? I'm going to do something, so God will do something. See, the, I, I'm on the top of a temple, and if I jump down, I'm going to die. But the word of God says he won't let me die because the, 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 the angels will protect me. So if I jump down, that's going to happen. That's, I'm going to do something to get God to do something. Rather than the posture of Jesus is, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be at rest. I'm supposed to be trusting the Lord in the midst of this moment. I'm here, and I don't need to prove anything, and I certainly don't need to get you engaged in something to prove something. I'm just going to stand in agreement that you are perfectly capable and able and wonderful and are caring for my life and this situation. Beloved, for some of us, that will be a huge battle because you have to start declaring the word of God is true, though I cannot see it, though I cannot produce it, though I cannot make it happen. I have to accept it as truth in my life, over my life. That's sanctification. And beloved, the last thing you ever want to do is look at your life to see if God loves you. Truth is, he loves you so much, he's going to send you the amount of temptation to meet the devil. So that you will be a person of his word, living in truth, cared by the spirit, and trusting in his goodness even when you can't see it. And that is the transformation process. And that's the sanctification. So don't look at what you're saying. And whatever you're looking, like, looking at looks like God's not liking you, caring for you, blessing you, helping you. It's time to say, it is written. It is written. I'm not engaging in that conversation. My God is a good God. My God is a faithful God. He is generous. He is kind. He is keeping his word. He is blessing. And, and that's the mouth responding. It is written. Well, again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain. You see, you can always know the devil. He's always trying to put you up so he can throw you down. And God's always trying to put you down so he can lift you up. You can tell, is this humbling me or is this exalting me? If it's humbling me, it's probably God. If it's exalting me, get ready, I'm going to be falling. That's the devil tempting me. 
come up higher. Now, God tells us to come up higher in the spirit, but the higher you're in the spirit, the lower you are in this life. You just live in a low place because there's nothing to be gained by showing or doing. So he takes him on a high, exceedingly mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Luke says he did it in a moment. All of the kingdoms, all of the influence. He showed him Hollywood. He showed him he showed him technological advancements. He showed him money all over the place. He showed him all of it. He said, in Luke, he said, this is mine. And it was given to me. When did he get it? When Adam ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And transferred the whole cosmos into that influence that became known today as the world. So he says, I'll give it to you. He said, all these things I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me. Now this one, the pride of life. The word pride is an interesting. There's two, two facts of this I, I would just like to read to you. The, the word pride, first the word life. It's the word bios, like where we get our biography, our, our, our bio, our cell. It's, it's the... It's, it's life in the present state. He is saying to Jesus, you have an identity. You're a king. You're the Messiah. I know that, and you know that. Right now, you basically look like a starving man. And I've got all of these kingdoms. I've got every kingdom that ever was and ever will be that's, that's ran in the system. I've got Babel to Babylon. Just fall down and worship me, and it's all yours. And so the purpose or the test was to, to gain a kingdom without a cross and to worship to gain a kingdom, which is a scary thought. There's a lot of worship going on in an attempt to buy, gain a kingdom without a cross. There are a lot of famous artists in the world today that started like this, scared out of their dickens, saying scriptures then singing songs and became to be givers of worship to the Lord. And at some point, the evil one said, hey, you know, you're so talented. You shouldn't be in the church. I've got X opportunity beyond what you've ever had. If you'll just kind of bow your knee to me, I'll give it to you. Trust me, there are people are given things because they will worship Satan without realizing to the level they are. And some very much understand the level they're at. What are you worshiping to get what you're trying to get? It's easy. You can you know, serve the clock. You can, you can advance your career. You can, but he says, Jesus says, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Yeah. Now, now that, that's a powerful statement. See, worship doesn't gain me anything except access to my Father who deserves it and access to his affirming me in the Son so that I can go out and serve humanity. It's not kingdom giving. As much as we want to make it, as much... I, how many have ever heard this phrase? Let's just get together and worship. 
I had that so much after a while, I had to ask myself, well, it sounds great to me, but what are we going to worship? Are we worshiping songs we sing? Do we know who we're worshiping? You, know, you get a revelation, you can go on and worship an angel. So this Jesus, this son of man who's withstanding the temptations that every one of us are in, he says, get behind me, get away from me, leave me, Satan. It is written, you will worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Meaning, I am here to worship God. I'm not here because of a kingdom promise. I'm not even here for an identity opportunity. I'm here to worship him and serve him. We shared this many years ago. Worship establishes me in Christ because I worship Christ and I begin to have experiences of who Christ is and he affirms who I am in him. And so it's a real massive identity strengthener. I don't find the strength that I find by worshiping God is, is unparalleled. But it isn't to give me a position. My position is a servant. And my job changes all the time. I've had so many jobs change over my journey with Jesus because he doesn't really, he's not saying, oh, because you're this, you get to be that. Because you're that, you get to be this. That's higher, higher, higher. No, lower, lower, lower. And that's that conflict that the world, it's insidious. When Jesus, when, Satan, when Peter realized that Jesus was the Christ in Matthew 16 and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus said, whoa, Peter, huh? you didn't get that out of yourself, out of your flesh, out of your blood, from your soul. I, that father showed that to you. And from that moment, he said, you're blessed. You have doors opening. You have keys that are beginning to operate in you. And I'm building on that revelation. I am the Messiah. My entire entity of my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So the next words, it says in Matthew 16, from that point on, he began to show that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things under the hands of the priests and be killed and raised from the third day. Now, Peter's fresh into Revelation. I've told everybody this. It's, it's still true to this day. Revelation is like a drug. If it was a drug, it would be cocaine. It kicks you up high. You see things you have no ability to live in. And you think they're going to happen immediately. It's delusional in that sense that it gives you some outer, outer world confidence that you don't yet earn. You only earn confidence by being tested, put through trials. See if the faith really is what you believe. Those, th that opportunity come away. Well, the word is still true, but I'm not capable. So he says, Peter calls him, Peter, Peter says to Jesus, far be that from you. I forbid that to happen. That will never happen to you. Peter turned, Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're, 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 you set your mind on the things of men, not the things of God. If you were thinking of the things of God, you would understand. There is no freedom without this death that I must follow. And there's no liberation. There's no salvation. There's none of the things that are going to come unless I go and become the sacrifice for which I was given to be. So then all the disciples are going, whoa. So Peter, Jesus pulls them all together, and he says, listen, if anyone wants to come after me, they have to deny themselves. That means just, well, my life isn't the, isn't, it isn't the issue that we're pursuing the benefit of. I let my life go. I have to pick up your cross. You say, what's my cross? Easy. Whatever you hate in life that you can't get rid of. 
whatever you are being forced to do that you don't want to do. Pick it up. The, the thing that's stopping you from serving God with a joyful, happy heart that stops us from singing around and going, I am so blessed because of God and what he has given me in his son, and I can't imagine any other life than the one I'm in, and everything he's doing is perfect in his grace and his kindness. It's that place of freedom when the thing that's killing you can no longer rule you. Do you understand? There, you know, there's some of us, just attitude adjustments. I don't think I want to do that anymore. I don't have any joy in it. Well, who gives a rip about my joy? Maybe it's my cross. He said, so then he says, you got to put the, pick up the cross, and then don't stop there. Follow me. See, the, the maturing of the church is the, is the denying of the self, picking up the cross, and the following. I'm not stopping. And we're all like that. There's everyone in this room. Many, I know enough of you to know that you've come to reasons you should have stopped. And no one would have blamed you. You've been through betrayals. You've been through mishaps. You have been through promises that you saw. And only Ishmael was born out of it. You have been through conflicts. You have been through slander. You've been through it all. And yes, it stopped you. I've stopped for years in my soul. Just said, you know what? I'm, I'm having a hard time now trusting God. I don't really know. And until, until I finally realized, come on, I'm dying in this pit. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, but I, nobody told me to live here. I got to get through this thing. So pick it up and get going. And I start following the Lord. And you come alive. And there's, a, there's something's happening to every one of us. So the internal place of Jesus was where he held the victory through the written word. That's why, beloved, I just believe with everything in my heart, this book should be just becoming every part of our lives. Listen to it as much as you can. Reading it as often. Reading it together. Submitting, submitting, submitting. Because the way out of the world is through submission to God and the humility of the life. James chapter 4. It's submission to God into humility. Humility is I am not capable, I'm not able, and I'm not going to try to be able or capable. I'm going to submit to God. God is good. God is kind. He is my father. He will feed me when he, well, he will give me assurance through faith, and he is the, the essence of what I want to be known by anyway. So though I be not recognized in the world, not given all those kingdoms, not given all those accolades, nobody thinks anything about me. I don't want to live from that place. I want to live from my father said, you're my son. I love you. And, and, and I won't hold it. I won't hold it without the word and the spirit of God actively in our life. So I want to read this just kind of as a marker and then we'll pray. When the pandemic came and we all began to experience the limitations that started, I think in the course of the humanity at first, we all responded pretty good. I think our hearts were pretty willing. I mean, who wants to die? <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say, if you go over there, you'll die, so don't. And then, then it goes on. Then now it begins to become confusion. People begin to charge this and say that, this and that. And that. Anyway. Somewhere right in the very beginnings, the Lord brought me to an old poem. Cammie used to share with me whenever I got too big in my thinking. It's by Louisa May Alcott. 
It was done in 1845, the wisdom from the old. She wrote it at the age of 13. And I read it. If those of you who were here, you might remember. I read it. I said, this, I believe, for me, is my charge in the midst of what's happening. I don't want to try to control the outside. I want to find Christ inside. I want to find Christ so that I don't try to, to, to work outwardly to sort the thing out, to get the water from bitter to sweet, or to get rid of the manna that I, I don't want to eat anymore and get some quail showing up. I don't want to go there. I want to go right here and try to find my place. So here's her, her poem, 13, and uh, you know, author of Little Women and so forth. A little kingdom I possess where thoughts and feelings dwell. And very hard I find the task of governing it well. For passion tempts and troubles me. A wayward will misleads. And selfishness its shadow cast on all my words and deeds. How can I learn to rule myself, to be the child I should? Honest and brave, nor ever tire of trying to be good? How can I keep a sunny soul to shine along life's way? How can I tune my little heart to sweetly sing all day? Dear Father, help me with the love that casteth out my fear. Teach me to lean on thee and feel that thou art very near. That no temptation is unseen, no childish grief too small. Since thou, with patience, patience infinite, doth soothe and comfort all. I do not ask for any crown, but that which all may win, nor seek to conquer any world except the one within. Be thou my guide until I find, led by a tender hand, the happy kingdom in myself, and dare to take command. Father, I thank you that um, this is a people that we're not 13, well, some of us are maybe, but we are people that have endeavored to follow you, Jesus, and I know that, and I know many are carrying their crosses in order to do so. And Lord, I know that the world has grown ever louder. When I think of 1957 and our the queens speaking to the things that was looking to be cast away, and now I realize that they've all been cast away. Self-interest is far beyond self-restraint. Lord, we just come back and we ask, return to us the truths of your word so that we might, be, might hold our place in the identity with your word and be able to withstand the temptation of the tempter trying to lure us into resolving anything through the world instead of living in the place of union and trust and communion. Help us to love our enemies, to be kind, to be generous. Fill us with your spirit again so that joy is unspeakable and full of glory. Cause hope to abound that's living, that's never taken. We ask your forgiveness. I will ask your forgiveness. Every time I have tried to use my place in your kingdom, to benefit myself in my problem. I realize that 
It's more important that I live in your word that you're speaking and not try to change the world that I'm in. But there is a purpose for the testings. Father, forgive us for every time that impatience has become the idea that there's something I've got to do for God to do what he's going to do. That is the biggest lie from the beginning. There's nothing that I can do for God to do what he's going to do except to receive what you have already done in the Son and worship you there. Forgive us. I ask right now that you would be kind enough to unlock any point of pressure that's resting on the living body of Jesus that's telling us, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to rise up, you've got to stop this, you've got to get it. I release it. That we could be childlike again and say, well, Lord, I'll worship you and serve you. I'm just going to not jump off the cliff and I'm not going to force an action. And Lord, again, one more thing. Would you please make it all about you again? All about you. Worship, worship, worship. I worship. Not for kingdoms, not for position, not for talent, not for money, not for fame. Just because I'm to worship you and serve you. Come, Holy Spirit. We love you for the great grace you've given and the anointing that you carry. And we thank you that you use the word of God as the sword of your spirit to address the situations of life. I pray this day that we begin in a new way to go further inside your kingdom and further into the truth of your kingdom and begin to rule with you. Our thoughts, our emotions, our words, our day, the way we respond to the day. And Lord God, begin to create a feast through a cheerful heart and begin to unlock what Christ has accomplished and cause vision to rise again. Every place we've compared ourselves with someone else, we ask your forgiveness. How can we compare when we are unique in you? And yet, we don't want to gain the identity of others. We don't want the praise of man. We want the praise of God. We don't want to seek honor from one another because then faith goes away. Lord, come. Jesus, we, at, we welcome you to set us, take us through this temptation that we're in in any way and become that great, merciful, faithful high priest and come to our aid and help me identify where I am submitting to a worldly idea, trying to overwhelm a worldly problem with a worldly answer and come back inside to that place of trust and of release and blessing. Thank you for our family. Thank you for our family that we're loved in Jesus, cared for in Jesus, blessed in Jesus. Thank you for that we can love one another without worrying about where does that lead us afterwards. Thank you for lunch today. Thank you for family. Thank you for the wayward children that are running away because they don't think there's happiness in the Father's house. But you know them and calling them and you're returning them and you're liberating them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for our failures. Thank you every time you oppose us because my pride has demanded you to stand against me. Thank you that you want to humble people sincere and truth. Praise you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise you. Praise you. If you could just stand with me, let's just thank Him for a moment. Let's praise Him.
even what I'm in right now. bless us as we go to be together. We thank you that we have to eat together today. We bless every one of us that you are committed to the transformation of each of us into the glory of Christ and that you are committed to our conformity and liberation and freedom. And I thank you that your spirit is present with us and never leaves us. And for your word, it's available to always be held. We thank you for the victories that are ours just because we accept them and not because we earned them. Thank you for love that pours into our heart through the Father. Thank you for what you're going to accomplish in your living body as you conform us into your likeness. And we bless each member and we bless our meal and we bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.